Morning, nine o'clock, how we doing? Oh man, awesome, wow, that's cool. That's great, I heard you singing, that was really, really spectacular. Really good, well, my name is Greg, I am one of the pastors here at The Experience. Um, <clears throat> if you've been following along uh, with us over the last couple of weeks, we've been in First Timothy. And we're gonna continue in First Timothy, we'll be in chapter three uh, this weekend. It's, it's a book uh, written by Paul to his son in the faith, um, really to preserve good doctrine, um, worship. It's about personal integrity. Uh, it's God calling us to a higher level at Christians. Um, hey, they got me a, a new microphone, and it's got this windscreen on it. I don't know if you can see it from where you are, but I feel a little bit like Garth Brooks. So... <laughs> If I, if I break into like the thunder rolls, I mean, I don't know, just go with it for a minute. We'll see what happens. Um, man, Corey, Corey absolutely killed it last week um, on, on what was a really, really tough chapter uh, in 2 Timothy. He did an amazing job and um, how God has called us as men and women, as Christians, followers of Christ, to a higher level. And he asked a really tough question at the end of his message, what defines you? Um, that one spoke to me a lot. What defines us? What are the characteristics of your life? What defines you and your character? What, that's such a powerful question. It's difficult uh, if we don't know the answer to that because that should change our behavior. Would you agree? What defines us? Would you agree? Yes. Okay, all right. I'm just making sure you're still there. Because the church has a role to play and when I say the church, I'm talking about the body of believers, I'm talking about Christians, I'm talking about followers of Jesus Christ. So as a follower of Christ, you have a role to play. And there are qualifications in ministry, and we're going to go over that, 1 Timothy 3 today. And we're going to understand, we're going to come to realize that godly character, godly characteristics are not just for pastors. But there's a problem with this text I don't think there's a problem with the text. There's a problem with us, I think, understanding it. When we look at 1 Timothy 3, we think all, all of a sudden we start reading and we're like, well, oh, no, wait, he's talking about pastors. He's talking about overseers. That's not me, so it really doesn't apply. But let me tell you, if that's your attitude toward this text, you'd be sorely mistaken. So I want you to just stay with me today, okay? I know pastors ask, when they're teaching, they ask a lot of rhetorical questions. Some of them will be today, but I just want to make sure that you're with me. Are you with me? You okay? Yeah. All right, good. So I'm going to pray, and we're going to get started. We're going to jump right into it today. You should have a notes handout. As you came in, you should have gotten a notes handout. If, uh, if you don't have that, you can follow along on your app. If you've downloaded the app, that has everything I'm going to say pretty much in there, as well as the scripture. If you, maybe if you have your Bibles with you, again, we're in 1 Timothy, it's toward the back of the book in the New Testament, um, and you can uh, follow along. If not, you can just watch the screens. Um, but before I get started, before I pray, if you have not listened to the message from last week, please go online and listen to that. It is, it is so, so good. It is such a challenging message. All right? So do that if you haven't already, and we're going to continue here. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this time together. I thank you, Lord, for the chance to come and just worship you. 
worship you in song, to worship you in giving, to worship you in hearing. Lord, help us to be not just hearers of the word only, but doers. God, the truth of the matter is, I don't have anything to say this, this morning except that for which you have given me in your word. So I pray, O oh God, that you would anoint it, that you would speak to us, each one of us in this place. In the matchless name of Jesus, we pray, amen. All right, overseers, we're in 1 Timothy 3. Here we go. <clears throat> So he says, this is a trustworthy saying. This is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to be an overseer, he desires a noble work. An overseer, therefore, must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, self-controlled, sensible, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not an excessive drinker, not a bully, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not greedy. He must manage his own household competently and have his children under control with all dignity. If anyone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of God's church? He must not be a new convert or he might become conceited and incur the same condemnation as the devil. Furthermore, he must have a good reputation among outsiders so that he does not fall into disgrace and the devil's trap. So Paul starts off a little bit with some church structure. It's so a little bit of structure here. And the church is the body of Christ. And I'm gonna kind of blow through these first couple of slides really quickly because I think we know a lot of this, right? The church of Christ is made up of body of believers, followers of Jesus. Those who follow the teachings of Jesus, that's, that's the church. We talk about the church, we're not talking about the building. I know sometimes you say, well, I go to the experienced church. The one right next to May Day. That's like our claim to fame or something, I don't know. <laughs> Um, everybody seems to know where Mayday is. I don't know what that issue is. But the experienced church. But the experienced church is not the brick and mortar. You are the experienced church. So you are, it's a living organism, a living organization. And for any church to be effective, just like any other business, it must have a few things. Mission, vision, some leadership, and some structure. And, and Paul's kind of laying this out. And there need to be qualifications for those uh, in leadership, and some, so some of what he's teaching is structure, if, it's, if the church is gonna be effective. And this is, this is really the New Testament church. This is, there hasn't been much of the New Testament church. They're going throughout the cities planting churches, just like we're doing all over the world now. In, in fact, in Philippians 1.1, Paul, he's got his son, Timothy, in the faith now with him, and he says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons. So I, I don't know if you caught that, but Paul just gave us the makeup of the church. He just gave us the design of the church. Saints, bishops, and deacons. I mean, he just defined the church as that. So follower of Jesus Christ, you are a saint. A saint. Me, I, boy, I don't know, Greg. Well, that's the way it's defined. That's the way the church is defined. So frankly, I, I get a little tired when people come into my office or they're talking to me like, Greg, I just, you know, I just have this sin that I'm dealing with, you know, but you know what, I, I've been dealing with it for years and you know, God's grace is sufficient. Well, I mean, while that's true, his grace is sufficient, I think that's kind of beginning, beginning to come a cop out. Like we just use it as this crutch 
for ministry. Yes, God's grace is sufficient, but too many of us have this idea that we can just live in that environment. But Paul says in 1 Corinthians to that church, he says, stop sinning. Stop sinning. In other words, I guess we have a choice, don't we? In Romans 6, the writer to the Roman church says, we died to sin, how can we live in it any longer? Well, I mean, I get it. Look, I understand that we sometimes struggle with sin. I get that. I understand that. But a perpetual sin, this, this sin that keeps happening in our lives, the sin that we just can't seem to get away from, I just don't agree with that, that, that you can't have victory over that. Because Paul said in Galatians that I've died to sin. I no longer live, but Jesus Christ who lives in me. That's why when we baptize people over here, this symbolic, when we go under the water, that's your death. And you are raised to walk in new life. So I don't understand the fact that people say, well, I just have to live in this sin. You know what? You know who doesn't sin? Dead people. Dead people don't sin. And while that maybe sounds a little funny to people, listen, when we've died to self, we don't have to sin any longer. And it's not just somebody, we're not talking about just overseers. We're not talking about just the pastors or just those who are reaching this upper echelon. You are saints. We should actually start liking, looking like saints. We should start acting like saints. That's what Paul called us. So this New Testament pastor, he's going over these qualifications. So terms like overseer, elder, bishop, it reads differently in different uh, translations or different versions. Your Bible might have something different. But in this context, they're all referring to the same office. And the word simply means a more mature person. Not, not just older, not, not just older in, in chronology, did I say that right? But older in being spiritually mature. Corey is actually younger than I am, but he's my pastor. And we have elders in this church, and we have elders at our Woodbury campus who oversee, like, um, they pray for us, they oversee things like the prayer ministry, They'll, uh, they oversee different financial aspects, and and they have other jobs and responsibilities. But this, in this context, that's not what Paul is talking about. So there are different usages of the term overseer and elder throughout the Bible. But in this context, they're, older, they're, they're interchangeable terms. They're interchangeable. So, so whether you say elder, overseer, or bishop, it doesn't really matter. In fact, the next time you see Pastor Corey, you should call him Bishop Corey. Or... <laughs> or Bishop Trimble. I, I heard he really likes that title. <laughs> I might be being a little sarcastic. Because in Titus, Paul is sending Titus to all of these other communities. He says, appoint elders in every town. And that's exactly what he's saying. Appoint overseers. Oh, so ch some churches call them bishops. Today we use the pastor just based on the, the Christ model, right, as shepherd. So pastors oversee the spiritual direction and the ministries of the church. They oversee these, and it is a noble work. Paul says right away, it is a noble work. So he's speaking to those who desire to be overseers. Look, is that you? Maybe you have this desire to be an overseer. Maybe you have this desire to be a pastor. 
Maybe you have a desire to be a teacher or a leader in the church community. Well, there are qualifications. We just read them and we're gonna go through them. But the office, you need to know then if you are aspiring to be this or even if you're just aspiring to be a lay pastor, if you will, if you will, and I'll talk about that in just a second, the office of that involves guiding people in their spiritual walk, their spiritual journey. It involves this position is, is a position of serving, of servanthood. It's not a position of prestige. So we're, whether we're talking about lead pastors or overseers of small communities, and this is where I'm talking about where churches call them like lay pastors. And I get that. I understand it because, I mean, we're all supposed to uh, be disciple makers, right? We're all supposed to be disciple. Matthew 28, Jesus gives us our mission. We're supposed to go and make disciples of all nations. So I understand this kind of lay pastor mentality. But what Paul's asserting is that leadership is vital and there are essential qualifications. So what qualifications, what characterizes your life? I'll ask the question that Corey ended with last week. What defines you? What defines you? because there are qualifications, and Paul lists them here, and I'm gonna hit them with personal and church and family. So I'm not gonna go in the order that we read them. The first thing, though, that he says is we have to be above reproach. And listen, that, too many think, whoa, oh gosh, I can't, I can't do that. I can't, I, that doesn't mean sinless. It means that they have a great reputation. It means that if you were trying to actually build a case against them, that there wouldn't be enough evidence to build that case by the way that you look at their lives. By the way that you look at an overseer's life, you could not, in fact, you would not be able to bring any accusations against them inside or outside the church. I had a conversation with Corey uh, before I was hired on. We had coffee or something, I don't know, lunch. And he said to me this, I, I'm, I'll never forget it. He said, Greg, there are a lot of people out there taking shots at Christians. Are you with me? Yeah. Oh my goodness. He said to me, I just don't wanna give them any ammo. And that's the way we live our lives. I, I don't either. I don't wanna give people ammo to shoot me with. I don't want to give them ammo that they're gonna take shots at me. The second thing is we need to be self-controlled. We need to be temperate. Man, this is, this is just evidence of the Holy Spirit. And all Christians should be self-controlled. Again, this is not just for overseers. Galatians 5 talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Well, that doesn't sound like it's just for the overseer. Does it to you? First Peter, First Peter says the devil is, is prowling around like a roaring lion seeking whom he might devour. Listen, guys, the, the devil doesn't want to just cripple you. He doesn't want to just make you have a bad day. He wants to destroy you. And we need to be self-controlled. We need to be self-controlled when we are walking this journey with Jesus. But I got to tell you, apart from the Holy Spirit, it's just not possible because apart from the Holy Spirit, we're left to battle those, we're left to fight those battles on our own strength. And we can't do it on our own strength. But by the Spirit's influence and power, we are enabled to live a life that is controlled not by our nature, but by God's Spirit. 
man, you, I don't think you heard me. If there's anything that you get today, get that. Don't miss that. Because by God's spirit, you are enabled to live a life worthy of the calling he has placed on your life and mine. You don't believe me. You don't, I can tell, you're not with me. So there was a pastor who, uh, years and years and years ago, uh, in my ministry, I was in Michigan, I think, and this, this pastor came to me and he said, Greg, because I was struggling, frankly, struggling with this whole sanctification issue. That's just a real churchy word for set apart, this holiness, this walking in holiness. Like, really? Like, I can do this? And he said, yes, you can. Well, let me ask you this question, Greg. Can you go a minute without sinning? I'm like, <laughs> I should hope so. Wow, I mean, a, a whole minute? Man, maybe, maybe so, Yeah. And he said, well, can you go five minutes? I'm like, well, I guess, sure. He goes, can you go an hour? I was like, whoa, slow down. You're pushing it. But then I was, he said, seriously, could you go an hour? And I said, well, I suppose I could if I was praying. <laughs> maybe if I was praying or, or if I was reading the Bible, or if I was in the Word. Maybe I could go an hour, I suppose, if I was maybe reciting scripture in my mind, or if I, was, if I was praying the whole hour, if I was going through, maybe if I had a bunch of scripture memorized, I could, he goes, could you go then a day? And I was like, man, I don't know, but I suppose it's possible if I was just reciting or maybe spent a whole day in the word. Do you guys get where I'm going here? Do, do you understand what? Because it is possible by the Spirit's influence, if I have these scriptures and these prayers, if I am a living a life that is captivated by the Holy Spirit. It is possible, but only, only through the power of the Holy Spirit that lives within me. That's a personal qualification. The second uh, or third one is sensible and respectable. I don't think we need a lot of explanation there. We just have to be sensible. We have to make good decisions, not rash decisions. An overseer has to be hospitable. In, in the early centuries, that would just meant like if people were traveling through, that you would feed them, that maybe you would wash their feet and, and give them lodging for a night. So an overseer has to be hospitable. What that means in our, our, our culture today is, man, the next time you're passing through Murfreesboro, stop, stay the night with Corey and Alicia. I mean... I think Tammy and I are going tonight, so not tonight, maybe. <laughs> Somebody's gonna like knock on Corey's door like, next week and like, here we are, and he's like, oh my goodness, what am I doing? We're not to be excessive drinkers. People ask me all the time, man, can I drink and be a Christian? It's the wrong question. Come on, really, can I? What, are you looking for the minimum you have to do, or are you wanting to live your life in a life of holiness? That's the wrong question. What do I want to do to follow Jesus and become more like, his, uh, like, like he is? Here's what I know. We, can't, we cannot be controlled by the Spirit, big S, by the Spirit of God, if we're drunk. We can't be controlled by the Spirit if we're inebriated. Can't be done. Can't be a bully. Gotta be gentle. This one actually pretty funny in the Greek. It actually means to strike. What that means is, what Paul was telling them, listen, if they don't believe like you, you can't beat them up. That's, that's wrong. You shouldn't do that. You can't, if they're not believing like you, you can't, you can't be abusive. That's terrible. 
And guys, when did arguing ever convince anybody anyway? It just cements like their own argument. But you know, here's what you do. You're like, I know what I'll do. I'll get on Facebook and I'll tell them. Would you just stop? Seriously. That is so annoying. We just get behind the computer and we just start doing all of this. That, that's quarrelsome. That's the next one. <laughs> don't just start that stuff. We can't be greedy. I mean, I don't need to spend a lot of time there, right? Even though the Bible talks more about money than a lot of other things. We don't want a, a, an overseer cannot be greedy. And then there's family qualifications, husband of one wife. So commentary after commentary on this, man, there are a lot of different views there are, that break down to uh, about four. I'm not gonna give you all of them. The other three, I think, are a little bit ridiculous. If you wanna know them, come see me afterwards and I'll tell you what they are. Here's what I'm gonna tell, here's where we stand. This is what I'm gonna tell you where we stand. An overseer must love their spouse, love their wife, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. This is where we stand. That's, well, Greg, where do you get that? Ephesians 5. That's right where I get that. This was about being married to one woman, being faithful to her in the covenant of marriage, right? Having this pattern of honor, love, and devotion, serving her, loving her, nurturing her, those vows that you take on your wedding day, pretty important. That's where we stand. That's where we stand. It's about being a one-woman man. That's exactly what it is. Loving your wife as Christ loved the church, of which he is the Savior, the rest of that verse. Friends, that's a high calling. Husbands, that's a high calling. That's a really high calling. We must manage our own household. He's got to manage his own household well. I mean, that just makes sense, right? If you can't manage your own household, you can't manage the church, how are you going to do that? If you're not leading your family spiritually, how can you lead the church spiritually? Just can't be done. I mean, that's pretty simplistic, but here's, here's the thing. That's an issue everywhere. Husbands, you and I are supposed to lead our wife and our families spiritually. We are supposed to be the head of the home. That is our job. That is what we are called to do. That is our God-given responsibility. We are supposed to lead them spiritually. We are supposed to pray for them. We are supposed to be pushing them, encouraging them, nurturing. Couples come into my office all the time where the wife is leading the family. That's not her role. It's not her role. And we, they come into my office all the time and they wonder why, our, Greg, our family's a mess and I don't get it. And I start digging in and I see that the wife's leading the family spiritual, spirit, spiritual their spiritual direction. Guys, don't give away your God-given responsibility. Don't do that. It is not her role to be the spiritual leader of your home. Step up. Step up and lead how we're supposed to lead. Greg, it sounds like you're preaching last week's sermon. Then get it. Let's get it, guys. I get passionate about men. I get passionate about husbands. Why? Because I know if Satan can get the man, he can get the world. I think you're grandizing it a little bit, Greg. No, I'm not. 
If he can get the man, if he can get the husband, he'll get the family. If he can get the family, then he'll get the rest of the family. If he can get that family, then he'll get the church. If he can get the church, then he can get the city. If he can get the city, he can get the state. If he can get the state, he can get the country. Are you with me? Listen, if, if Satan can just get you husbands, he'll destroy everything. Step up. Step up. We've got to manage our own households. We've got to have good reputations. We've got to have church qualifications. Can't, can't be a new convert. Why? Simply characters built over time. I mean, we've got to watch, right? We're watching all the time those in leadership around here to elevate them to a new level, to maybe give them some ministry responsibilities that they maybe didn't even think they were capable of. But a lifestyle of faithfulness and good character over time just provides this evidence of maturity. It doesn't guarantee it. It doesn't guarantee it. In Hebrews, the writer to the Hebrew church, he was railing on them because he used this metaphor like, you guys are still drinking milk when you should be eating meat. In other words, you're just babies in the face still. What are you doing? I mean, he was railing on them. So it doesn't guarantee maturity, and that's why we've got to watch the lives of those around us. That's why we've got to watch, because sometimes it brings conceit, the text said. Well, how does that happen? Well, we elevate them to a position, and all of a sudden it's about prestige or pride. Man, that was the devil's issue, right? Pride is the sin that turned angels into devils. The Bible talks about pride more than 50 times. You think it's important? I think it's important. James, the brother of Jesus, said, God resists the proud. The rest of that verse is said, but he gives grace to the humble. There are qualifications for ministry. And we've got to have a good reputation. Boy, this is a big one. Somebody has a bad reputation outside the church, you think it's gonna matter inside the church? Absolutely. It's gonna affect the witness everywhere. And I am shocked at how many are willing to risk their reputation for a moment of satisfaction. I, I am shocked. Those of us, those of you who are willing to risk this reputation that you've taken a lifetime to build and you will risk it for a few bucks on your tax return. You will risk it for a moment of satisfaction on the internet or with another person. Guys, reputation is a huge thing. First Thessalonians says our daily life, the way we live, the qualifications, the characteristics of our life have to win the respect of outsiders. We have got to have a good reputation. The church is the hope of the world. And an overseer has to be able to teach. Man, this is just about giving good instruction. Paul, teacher and pastor in First and Second Timothy are the same person. Now, we're going to go through First and Second Timothy over the next months, and, and you're going to see that. But Paul wants Timothy to, to just ensure that overseers have good doctrine. So we have to, all the overseers, all the saints of the church have to have good doctrine. Let me ask you a question. 
Do any of the qualifications that we've gone over in the last few minutes, does that sound anywhere near like it's just for overseers? Does it sound like it's just for those in authority? Because to me, it sounds like the characteristics of a follower of Jesus. That's what it sounds like to me. Let's move on. Starting at verse 8. Deacons, likewise, should be worthy of respect, not hypocritical, not drinking a lot of wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. They must also be tested first if they prove blameless. Then they can serve as deacons. Wives, too, must be worthy of respect, not slanders, self-controlled, faithful in everything. Deacons are to be husbands of one wife, managing their children and their own households competently. For those who have served well as deacons acquire good standing for themselves and great boldness in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Sound familiar? So what is a deacon? Paul describes the qualifications of a deacon, not the duties. If you want to look at the duties of a deacon, you can look in Acts 6. But he doesn't really give us their duties here. So there's not confusion, there's just interpretation in different churches. And when I say churches, I mean denominations. Some churches, some denominations say the deacons manage property. They manage facilities. Some, some say they supervise pastoral care. All deacon means is servant in the, in the original language. That's all it means. And almost always it refers to somebody who is in some form of ministry or service, both inside and outside the church. So it's not just the title or this responsibility Those qualifications that we read are those in charge of ministry and service both inside and outside the church. We just call them volunteers here. I mean, this isn't about a title. This isn't about a position. It's whether or not their lives are indicative that they are a Christ follower. (laughs) So we call them volunteers. Want to be a children's ministry volunteer? Well, we got to see some of these qualifications. Want, want to be a high school volunteer? Want to start teaching in some of these ministries? Want to lead a life group? Well, we got to see some of these qualifications. And a lot of these are similar. They should have been very, very familiar. Like, I think he just read this text just a few minutes ago. I think that was the first part. It was. That's why Paul said, likewise. In other words, similar to the overseers. In the same way as overseers, Deacons have to be respected, not drink a lot, not be greedy, got to be tested to prove blameless, husband of one wife, manage their homes, all of those things. And again, it, respect, that, that's a huge issue, not, not greedy, not drink a lot. Don't ask the wrong questions. Can I drink and be a Christian? It is, can, listen, if you get drunk one time, then that's too many. That's too much. In fact, it's, it's not about having a glass of wine. You'll, you'll read in just a couple of weeks, if, you, if you're around for chapter five, that Paul says to Timothy, you should have a glass of wine. You should have a little wine because of your stomach, your stomach issues. So it's not about that. And money is a huge issue. He's mentioned it twice. Money, I, it makes me laugh when people say, man, Greg, if, if I made more money, I'd give a lot more money to charity in the church. No, you wouldn't. 
you're going to give more money to the church? You don't give any now. What makes you think if you had more money, you're going to give that away? Guys, let me tell you, I can promise you God can do more with the 90% than you can do with 100. I promise you that. Greg, you have no idea. No, I do know because I've tested him in that. And that is the only place in the scriptures where God says that I can test him, that we can test him. And he says, test me in this. See if I'll not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so many blessings on you that you can't contain them. So I'm telling you, when I tell you, I can tell you with authority of the scriptures that he can do way more with the 90 if you'll just be obedient and give the 10. Money is a big deal. It's a big deal in the church. And, it, uh, and this tested to prove blameless, again, we're not talking about sinless, we're talking about walking in holiness. We're talking about going a minute, five minutes, an hour, right? That illustration. We're talking about walking in holiness, always living a lifestyle of repentance. These are qualifications for volunteering, leading in ministry. Shouldn't they be the mark of a Christian? Should they not be the mark of a Christian? In any, any servant in the church, should these not be the marks of a Christian? Those who are holding to this mystery of godliness, or he says, the mystery of faith in good, clear conscience? That, that's a warning for us in leadership, allowing those who are not grounded in their relationship with Jesus and moving them up too quickly. We've got to be careful of that. Because we have to ensure in this leadership, and not just our church, but the church of Jesus Christ, that those that we allow in teaching in any part of ministry of the church understand good Bible doctrine and have good theology. We've got to align with what the Bible teaches. We've got to have that. Those are not, listen, not just we as pastors, not just those who teach up here, because Paul said at the beginning, we are all saints. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, then we have to hold to good doctrine and theology, not just we up here. Are you with me? You with me? Why? Because if we don't, we're opening ourselves up to deception, all kinds of heresies. And Paul wants to make sure Paul wants to ensure that we are focusing on what's important, that we're focusing on the majors in the faith and not the minors in the faith. Because friends, contrary to what is being taught in society, there are absolute truths. There are. I know society says different. They're wrong. Because the Bible says that one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is an absolute truth. If, they, if the society says that's not, they're just wrong. And there are absolute truths that, we are, that are foundational to our faith. Get these. You have to settle these issues that there is one true God. And the only way to God the Father is through Jesus Christ the Son. And there is an inerrancy of scripture. And you have to believe in him and have faith in him to have a relationship with Jesus. And of course, there are many more. But we have to guard those truths. That's why we don't just let anybody lead in ministry. We can't. We can't just let anyone lead in ministry. We have to major on the majors and minor on the minors. So are you moving forward? What are your aspirations, friend? What are your aspirations, 
saint of God? Are you moving forward in your Christian faith? Or are you trying to just like, I'm, I'm good? You've got to settle these absolute truths. Man, we can't have our fingers crossed and wonder, well, I mean, you know, I, I think it's the right way. No, we got to settle these truths. Settle them. And then he just throws wives in here. He hasn't talked about wives or some versions say women. It kind of comes out of nowhere. Verse 11 just mentions the qualifications for wives or women that they have to be worthy. And he has four. Worthy of respect, not slanders, gossip, self-controlled and faith. It should sound familiar. Again, some of these are familiar. But, but why? why? Why here? Why now? Listen, there are a lot of women in the Bible. Paul had a mentor who was a woman. He had a couple of them, Priscilla and Aquila. Listen, I am not here to debate this issue of women in leadership. Here's what I know. Women are meant to serve alongside of men, not in place of them. Men? Women and men are to be filled with the Spirit, and both serve alongside each other. So this isn't about separate qualifications. This isn't a quali qualification for men, women, and, and it's different. This is about being filled with the Spirit. Again, it's not about a title. It's not about a title. It's about our faithfulness as servants in ministry. It's about our faithfulness in the household of God. All right, let's move on. Verse 14. So I write these things to you, hoping to come to you soon. But if I should be delayed, I've written so that you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. And most certainly the mystery of godliness is great. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. So he says, I write these things to you. In other words, here's the reason that I'm writing, that we, the church has to have order, that there is an order to the church, that our God is a God of order. So elders, deacons, servants, saints, members, we all have a responsibility to each other here in this community, to the city and to the world. We have a responsibility. And Paul says, I want you to know how to conduct yourselves. I want you to know how to behave because your life should be different than those without Jesus. Because your life should look differently than those outside of the church. And the church is the representation of Christ to the world. This is who we are. Second Corinthians, Paul tells us to come out from among them and be separate. In other words, we have to look different. And there are qualifications to leadership in the household of God. So this purpose here was to encourage us that we have a responsibility for which Christ has called us as the church to conduct ourselves, Philippians says, in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Is that you? Is that you? That's a huge responsibility. Because people are searching all around you. Some of them don't even know what they're searching for. 
So they turn to the internet, they turn to drugs, they turn to alcohol, they turn to money, they turn to all different things. And friends, not to be like cliche, but listen, a follower of Christ, you and I know what they're searching for. My gracious, the church is it. We are a lighthouse to the community, to the world. There is no plan B. The church is the hope of the world, and nobody said it was easy. For crying out loud, I think sometimes we think, I'm just gonna become a Christian, and then we think we can just coast. Where, where did that come from? I mean, if that's like you, I just wanna become a Christian so I can make it. Man, you've been sold a bag of goods. That's not true. The Bible says to take up your cross daily and follow him. Does that sound like it's easy? I've been crucified with Christ, therefore I know. Does that sound easy? I don't know of anything worse than crucifixion, but I've got to die to self daily. Daily I have to die to my own desires, my own initiatives, my own goals, because there is a greater goal and a greater life that God the Father has for me, greater than I could ever imagine. And I and you are the hope of the world. You can't coast in Christianity, there is this mystery of godliness, this mystery of the faith. He said it twice in this chapter. Must be pretty important. Now this last part, it's probably a hymn. It's even formatted in your Bible. If you look at it, it's probably a creed or a hymn. Everybody would have been really familiar at the, of this and the way he said it, but in fact, because he used it a second time and he uses mystery both times, I want you to understand that mystery in Paul's writings refers to something that was once hidden that is now revealed. Friends, that's Jesus. That's Jesus. And godliness is the message. To miss that is to miss everything. Elders, deacons, saints, overseers, bishops, I don't care what you call it. Follower of Jesus, we cannot be wishy-washy on this subject. You must settle those absolutes in your life that we talked about just a moment ago. You have to settle those because a relationship with Jesus and godliness is the only way to holiness and it should permeate Everything we do, our daily walk, it should permeate everything we do. That is our message. Christ alone. Christ and the gospel is Jesus. And it was that simple. He just bullet pointed it for them. They all knew this. Jesus came to earth fully man, was crucified vindicated, in other words, raised to life, vindicated by the, this was wrong, so it's vindicated by the Holy Spirit, seen by angels, fully God, fully man, preached, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. We can't cross our fingers in hopes that that's the way. We can't be there. We can't live there. The message, friends, is Christ crucified and raised to life for the forgiveness of sins. That's the message that we teach. That's the message that we as Christians live and preach. That's the message that we just can't keep silent about. That's the message that we can't hold inside, that we just gotta get it out. That's our message. 
So how are you living your lives? Are you living your lives so that that's your message? Are you holding on to this mystery of faith, this mystery of godliness? Are you living in such a way that these qualifications represent, characterize your life? Or, or are you living like, man, I, I, don't need, I don't even know. I've just got my fingers crossed. I don't know if Christ is the hope of the world or not. I gotta tell you, if that's the way you're living your life, you are living far beneath the privileges that God has given you. Far beneath. He has a plan for your life. Or maybe you're just like, well, I mean, we got a bunch of pastors at the experience. I mean, they're the pros, just let them do it. Waiting for everyone else to do the work? Listen, what part of the church as he defined it do you not understand then? To saints, followers of Christ. Man, if you're a follower of Christ, that's you. To overseers and deacons. That's how he defined the church. It's not about the pros. It's not about those on the platform. It's not about those in leadership. If you leave it up to us, listen, we're in trouble. We can't reach the world. You are the hope of the world. Everyone in the church has a role. Everyone in the church has a role. If you are not fulfilling your role, what are you doing? Listen, I know that there are many of you who don't serve in the church. You serve outside the church. Fantastic, that's great. Then I'm not talking to you. But you have a role to play. Are you just shirking your responsibility? Husbands, wives, women, are you just shirking your responsibility? What role are you playing in the church? How are you walking in your role? Because integrity matters. Godliness matters. People are watching you. Your actions matter. Man, these qualifications for elders and deacons, saints, all come from the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. Listen, when you accept Jesus, when you start to follow Jesus, you get the Holy Spirit. He does not withhold good gifts from his children. You get the Holy Spirit. Try and do it without the Holy Spirit. Impossible. Greg, I keep failing. I keep doing this. I keep this. Okay, so I know the issue. You have not died to self. Impossible without the power of the Holy Spirit. Impossible. But all things are possible with the power of the Holy Spirit. You have been thoroughly equipped for every good work. What are you waiting for? Would you bow your heads with me? Guys, too many of us think we can just coast through life as Christians That's not the life for which Christ died. Paul tells us to hold fast to this mystery of the faith, this mystery of godliness. That is Christ crucified and raised to life for the forgiveness of sins. Man, don't get confused about that. If you are here this morning and you're like, Greg, I, you know what? God has spoken to me this morning. That actually has not been my life. I am not holding fast to that. 
I've not settled these absolute truths. I've not, I'm struggling with that. Then on both sides of this platform are people who would absolutely love to pray with you. Would you come? The Bible says to confess your sins one to another. Just say, hey, I need prayer. I'm not, I'm not living how I should. Let these men and women pray for you. If you're here this morning and you're like, I'm not even sure why I'm here. This is all brand new to me. Dave is on, the right, on my right, the left side of the stage. My right, your left. Dave's one of our pastors here. Come, come talk to him. Just ask him. What questions do you have? He'll talk with you. And the last thing I want to tell you is there's communion all the way around the room. You're like, well, you guys do communion weird. Listen, there's no way to do communion right and wrong. Here's, here's what communion is. It's the body and blood of Jesus broken and spilled out for you. You repent with thanksgiving. That's all communion is. It is remembering what Christ has done for you. So follower of Jesus, don't leave here this morning without taking communion. That is a part of worship. That is a part of remembering. If you are not a Christian, don't partake. Don't drink and eat judgment on yourself. Become a Christian and then let's do it. Father God, we thank you and praise you for who you are. I thank you, Lord Jesus, for your message to us this morning. Thank you, God, that because character matters, you've given us the power of the Holy Spirit to equip us. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would be with us until we meet again. Keep us in the center of the very center of your will. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys.